Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Takes on a new complexion. And what is that complexion? That complexion is Rosh Hashanah, is that in Rosh Hashanah, one will take upon oneself the yoke of the kingdom of God. And there's a saying behind it. The yoke of the kingdom of God is known as Kabbalat O Malkut Shemayim, which means taking on oneself the yoke of the kingdom of God. This is something so important for Rosh Hashanah. Because we, we've heard, I know when I was in seminary as a young girl in the 1970s, mid-70s, at Melody Land School of Theology, awesome school. It was the number one charismatic school in the nation. And on the board of directors, can you imagine on the board of regents, regents Catherine Kuhlman, uh, my dear sister Kim knows you were an MST student. Uh, board of Regents, Pat Robertson, Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, Dima Shakarian. You name all the greats of the 1970s, they were on the board of Regents at MST. And at the head of MST was Dr. J. Rodman Williams. I'm teaching you as I'm telling you, because I have to leave legacy to you. That's my assignment. Amen. So I'm teaching the word, but I'm imparting legacy. I want you to know that I'm imparting legacy. That's what I want to do. That's why I'm here, is to impart legacy, because I'm not about to let you be robbed of what we had. <laughs> Dr. J. Rodman Williams. My goodness. Presbyterian. Later, he was so distinguished that he was invited by Pat Robertson to be the dean of CBN's school. That's how incredible Dr. J. Robman Williams, theologian, was. I appreciate all of them, those wonderful teachers. Even one that we had that was a Calvinist, his name was Dr. Topiner. But I loved him anyway. Doesn't mean you don't love a Calvinist, but I mean he was very strict. So strict. But it was wonderful. And among those classes we took, and anyone who goes to Bible school or seminary will take, New Testament classes. And the theme will be the kingdom of God for New Testament. Hmm. What we learned was just it's the rule and the reign of God. We didn't learn anything else about it. And in, some th in, in all the areas of education, I give God praise for those days. But when I left there, there was such a hunger to know more. 
We learned much about theology, but I wanted to know more about the Bible. And so, being so hungry to know more about the Bible, being so disappointed with commentaries, I set out on a journey, and I never had that journey answered till the 1980s. And that is when we began to study Torah. And I realized out through the years of study that Malkut Shemayim is not just the rule and the reign of God, it's so much more. How many of you want to know what Malkut Shemayim actually is? The kingdom of God. Do you want to know what it was like in the first century? How many of you would like to know the first century meaning of Malkut Shemayim? How many of you want to know the origins of the theme of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God? Everything the Lord did was Malkut Shemayim. His prayer for his disciples were Malkut Shemayim. Everything he did was Malkut Shemayim. Reading from Matthew chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 17, uh, we're looking at verse 1. Let us look. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see that? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist came preaching before Jesus the message of Malkut Shemayim. Then as we look at Matthew chapter 4, go to verse 17. But before we look at verse 17, I want you to look at verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. But in 17, you are going to see that the very same message that John the Baptist preached on repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you are going to see Jesus preach the same thing. Look, it says, when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum upon the seacoast in the borders of, borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in the Gentile, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and to them which were in the region of the shadow of death, upon them has the light sprung up. From that time, watch the word, from that time Jesus began to preach to say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Say this with me, the same words. words. John the Baptist preached. preached. Jesus preached. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want you to see it again because you don't look so convinced. I want you to be overwhelmed that John the Baptist was preaching first, Jesus preaching second, the same message. Look at it. Go back to Matthew 3, 1. 
I want you to see the exact words. Say this with me, the exact expression. The exact, expression. exact words. Exact words. That, I that I saw in Matthew 4, 17. I see in Matthew 3, 2. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Malkut Shemayim is at hand. So first we have to know what repent means. If you are going to enter in to Malkut Shemayim, because that's the theme of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, before Jesus came to this earth, the theme of Rosh Hashanah is Kabbalat ol Malkut Shemayim. Take upon yourself the yoke of the kingdom of God. Okay? So what does it mean to repent? See, in the Western world, we're pretty well aware of repentance. We know in the Western world, first of all, for real authentic repentance, there must be sorrow. If you're really repentant and you're not really sorry by the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost made you sorry. You didn't make yourself sorry, or it's not repentance. He's the convictor of sin. He convicts us. And so there's sorrow. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, Though I made you sorry through my letter, it was a godly sorrow. For godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of. But in the Western world, in the English version of repentance, it's just sorrow and a confession of sin, and that's it. But in Hebrew, it's a more positive, a much more positive experience than just sorrow. The word for repent is the word shuv. Say it with me, shuv. Say it again, shuv. Do you realize the name, when I was studying in the first, when we first began to study about captives in Babylon, I wanted to know, what's this word for captive? Someone who was snatched out of their place and brought to another land. What's this word for captive? It's a shibiyi. Hmm, like shuv in the middle of that word captive. So it would mean that a captive's destiny is not to be a captive. It is to shuv. Shuv means to return. Maybe you didn't hear. Let me just tell you. Shuv means to return. Do you know what that means? To go back to the place of original starting point. Shuv. 
So a captive is a shuvi, someone who has been taken out of their place and brought to a foreign place, but experiences release of that captivity because their destiny is to shuv, to return, not to stay a captive. You didn't hear me. I said captivity has in it the prophetic word shuv because shuv means to return. So God does not allow someone who is a captive to have a title of staying stuck where you were. Say this with me. The destiny of every captive is to shuv, go back. Say to go back to the point of their origin. So every time the word captive is used in the scripture, it's not a permanent state. God says, I won't even call you a captive without speaking a destiny into that captivity. And the destiny is to return. to return, shuv. Now, that word shuv means to go back to the original point. And if you see the places where shuv is used, God is saying repentance is not only sorrow. It must have sorrow or it's not repentance. means it's just flattery. You got to have gut-wrenching sorrow and realization and acknowledgement that you went against your true self, that you went against who you were created to be, and you stopped your destiny. But when repentance comes, there is a shuv that takes place. Not only do you go back, but everything returns back. I said, not only do you go back, I said, everything returns back. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said, not only do you go back, but everything returns back to the way God ordained it to be for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, why wouldn't you shuv? Come on, say it again. Why wouldn't you shuv? Why would you hold back? Why would you not repent? Because when you repent, everything that was taken comes back. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say, I want it back. I'm not going to let the devil take it. I want it back. I want my life back. I want my land back. I want my children back. I want my destiny back. I want my mind back. I want my future back. I want it back. Can I tell you, one of the greatest teachers of this concept of shuv 
is Jeremiah. I'll show you. Go with me to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah was so broken. He just wanted the people to shove. He just wanted Israel people, the inhabitants of Judah, to shove. They would not shove. No shuvi, no returning back. Instead, loss. But guess what? When we don't turn back, the Almighty loves us so much. And what he did for Israel was so mighty. He caused them to shove. Isn't it wonderful when God causes us to shove? It's his work. Look what the word says. Jeremiah chapter 32. This is a, ooh, this is an unusual text. I'm going to tell you how the word of God works. I'm going to abbreviate first portion I'm going to abbreviate the first portion of this text. Jeremiah shut up in the prison. The king, who is really not the direct descendant of David, he was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. The direct descendant of David is Jeconiah. He's just in the family, but he's not the direct descendant in the sense that he should be on the throne. He was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to be on the throne. The one who was the appointed, the one who was the true descendant of David, was captured, brought to Babylon. That's Jeconiah. And you see, Matthew in his gospel is so articulate. And so wants us to know what son of David means. That he goes out of his way to produce the most articulate genealogy. And he begins, before we look at Jeremiah, he begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then he begins, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the son of Judah. And from Judah's line, he begins to speak of all the descendants. And then in particular, he gives us the kings, the kings the lineage of the kings, the royal lineage of the house of David. And he concludes, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David. And there are 14 generations from David 
to Babylon. And there are 14 generations from the captivity in Babylon to Christ. Why 14? All these 14s. Because in Hebrew, you spell David, Dalit, Vav, Dalit. You add it up and it's 14. Hello, I said Dalit, Vav, Dalit. You add it up and it's 14. That doesn't really prove anything. Just lets you know accuracy, doesn't it? But he did it on purpose. Because after Yekaniah was captured, there was no other king. Yekaniah begat a son in Babylon, and that son begat Zerubbabel. And he goes and he tells all of the descendants of Jesus, who is the son of David through Joseph, although the genealogy is not reckoned directly in the term of seed. Now, why does he do this, son of David? Because Jesus is going to establish a throne and a kingdom. He's going to reset the kingdom of David. And the kingdom of David was based on ruling out oppressors, that all oppressors, anyone who would oppress anyone, he rid the land of all oppression and he established righteousness in the gates. He ruled out oppression over the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And he established and executed what is called Malkut David in the city of Jerusalem. Now, his descendant is also going to set up a kingdom that is going to drive out all oppression. Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah is in the prison and Jeremiah is told by God to buy a piece of land and he buys it. And it's just before the city of Jerusalem burns to the ground and God tells him to buy it. And God gives a word to Jeremiah as he buys it. And I want to read it to you because it has to do with the land, though it is going to burn up, though the people are going to be taken captive. God is going to cause them to shoot. God is going to cause them to return. God is going to give them back their land. God is going to give them back their houses. God is going to give them back sons and daughters. Are you with me? Look what the word of God says. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 44, the last line says, I will cause the captivity to return, says the Lord. If we look at that when Jeremiah had this word from the Lord to buy this piece of land, God told him, now why would you buy a piece of land that is going to burn up by the Babylonians in just a few days? Why would you buy it? Isn't that a little ridiculous to buy a piece of land when you know it's going to burn? But God told Jeremiah to, burn, to buy it. Because why? The evidence of that purchase 
had to be put in an earthen vessel. And Jeremiah prophesied over, wrote a scroll and put it in the earthen vessel. And the scroll was a prophecy that said, thus saith the Lord, you shall return to this land and you shall again possess houses, you shall possess vineyards, you shall possess fields. And God told Jeremiah, put it in the earth and bury it so that the land of Israel, when it was burning, had the word of God in it. That was, though you are leaving, your destiny is to return. Shuv, repent, come back. You will receive it all back. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me give you Jeremiah's words. He continues to tell the whole entire people. And he says, verse chapter 33, verse 6, Behold, I will bring health and cure, and I will cure them, and I will reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. Now watch verse 7. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return. And I will build them as at the first. God wants you to know if you repent. God wants you to know that if you shoo, he will rebuild back into your life everything that the devil has stolen out of it. things that you had earlier. Have you ever looked back, those of you that have known the Lord for quite a few years, never had to repent of anything? What a joke. If you didn't have to repent of anything, child, you better get on your face. I'm telling you the truth because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says he who has no sin is a liar and calls God a liar, and the truth is not in him. Why wouldn't you shoot? Tell your neighbor, say, why don't you do yourself a favor and shoot? Why wouldn't you return? Why are you going to risk everything that you had before? This is why it's so important when you, the longer you know the Lord, to stay fresh as fire. You better not become an old wine bottle puffed up with your own self and your own self-righteousness. Hello, I said you better not do that. You need to shoo, child. You need to get on your face. Hello, somebody. We have the most condemning church I've ever seen. I don't know why everybody's so insecure. We get so insecure, and the only way we can handle that insecurity is by putting somebody else down and being better than they are. Hello, somebody. I'm talking to you now. Put it away. Put it away. Bury it. Put it on the cross. Hallelujah. Are you hearing this today? Because what you're going to get out of your shoe. Watch this. 
the compassion of God. I will bring health. I will cure. I will reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and build them as at the first. Watch what the Bible says in verse 11. And they will hear. Hallelujah. God says again, verse 10. Here in this place that you say shall be desolate without a man, without a beast, without cities of Judah, because it's all going to burn. And in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them that say, praise the Lord. Watch, last line, and I will cause to return the captivity of the land and I will build them as at the first. Shuv. Shuv. Everything back. Can you imagine? Now you know how far you've come in the Lord if you've known him quite a while. Now imagine that plus activating everything you had when you first knew him and making it alive as if it happened yesterday. Could you imagine the joy of the Lord you would have? Can you imagine joy unspeakable and full of glory? Can you imagine you would not be able to sleep? You'd be up 24 hours a day just praising God. Hello, I said hello, I said hello. You'd have to become another vessel because you couldn't contain it all. Because everything God put in your heart when you first knew him, all the love you had, all the ministry you had, all the times he put his hand on you, every time he separated you and called you, everything he ever did for you would be reactivated again. He would cause it to return as at the first. That's everything you got now. Turn to your neighbor and say, I really want those riches. Hmm. Can you tell your neighbor, say, corruptible riches really don't do anything for me? <laughs> say, I want riches uncorruptible. Riches Come on, I want riches incorruptible. I want riches incorruptible. The riches of serving God, the riches of giving my life, my soul, my heart, everything to Jesus. And child, he'll give you so many riches, you won't know what to do with it, but it won't mean a thing to you. I said it won't mean a thing to you. I, I don't think you heard me. Thank you, Lord. I needed that for the ministry. Thank you, Lord. That's really nice, but I don't get my identity from it. Are you kidding? Where's your identity? Identity is in the goodness and the mercy. Whew. Who you are when you shove. Hallelujah. Notice what else it says. Hallelujah. The Bible says, continuing on, 
He said, thus saith the Lord, verse 25 of Jeremiah 33, thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not day and night, and if I have not appointed ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham. That means if my covenant is not good, of course it's good. I will cause the captivity to return and have mercy on them. Hallelujah. You see that young prodigal? When he wasted all of his inheritance, you know what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15? When he came to himself. I said when he came to himself. When he came to himself. When you shove, you go to yourself. When you're not shoving, not repenting, you're somebody else. God help who we are. But God wants us to shove. Now, why are you saying all this, Dr. Corral? Because we're in Elul, and the work this year for you to do is so mighty for God that God wants you to shove so you can be used so mightily for him. He's not going to hold anything against you. you. You can't beat yourself up because you need to shove. Every person in this room needs to shove. That's what LL is. We want to perfecting holiness in the fear of God, in the era of God. Now, beloved saints, in the time of Jesus, to enter the kingdom of God meant something a little different. In the time of Jesus, when one wanted to enter the kingdom of God, this is a message you saw John the Baptist, you saw Jesus. This is not the first time that it was used in the first century. It was a term. In the first century, the term, the kingdom of God, first began to be used as a euphemistic phrase to take God's name instead of a person using God's name in vain. So they would say the kingdom of God to replace God. So they would not misrepresent God. But to enter the kingdom of God began to be, began to be a concept in the first century, even before Jesus. It was a rabbinic concept. And it meant any person who's going to enter the kingdom of God had to repent. And by repenting, the reason they're going to enter the kingdom of God is because in the first century, Jews began to become extremely mechanical. And they only began to do commandments through mechanical, mechanical behavior. They didn't have any relationship with God. They started to lose it. And so this concept, the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God was going to cause them to repent. And through repenting, they would come under the yoke of the kingdom of God and they would go through a conversion. And that conversion process would enable them to keep the commandments of God. 
that they would not be keeping the commandments of God on their own. Notice how it's a forerunner. Notice how it's a prefiguring for Christ and his ministry. So that Jesus takes this and he coins his whole ministry after it. He brands it. Hello, somebody. The prayer to all disciples when they want to shoot is they pray the Our Father. And they want to come under the yoke of the kingdom of heaven so that heaven will help them keep the commandments of God. They shoot. I'm just giving you historical information, okay? You are getting a class right now that you would get if you were studying in Jerusalem with maybe someone, some of those folks in the Jerusalem perspective, okay? You are getting right now first century history. I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm teaching history for a minute. So you can understand the Bible better. How many of you want to understand the Bible better? Okay, so to, to come under the kingdom of God meant that they would, they would come under this rule and reign of God, take upon themselves Malkut Shemayim, a Kabbalat all Malkut Shemayim, to take upon themselves the yoke of the kingdom. And that would mean that they would repent of sin and that Shemayim, heaven, would help them keep the commandments of God. So the whole purpose is to keep the commandments of God. Notice Jesus teaches the Beatitudes in the concept of Malkut Shemayim, the kingdom of heaven. Notice all of his parables are after the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that went looking for pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who lost a hid a treasure in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that pulled in uh, many different things. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took three measures of uh, leaven and hid it in a lump. The kingdom of heaven, hallelujah, is like a sower who went to sow. Everything is about the kingdom of heaven. Why? So that his disciples would keep the commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Whoever loves me and keeps my commandments will be loved by my Father. And we will love him, make ourselves, we'll make ourselves known to him. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 6. Just stay right there. That same anointing. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to see Paul's view on the kingdom. What is the kingdom? What does Paul teach us? See, we're getting ready right now, and only the Holy Spirit can do it. Notice what it says. Verse 9 through 11. Now that you understand the first century meaning, you can understand Paul's teaching too. It's not so vague. You can't misinterpret it when you understand the historical background. 
Paul said, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. To enter into the kingdom meant joy unspeakable and full of glory. To enter into the kingdom meant your father is going to take care of every need. To enter into the kingdom meant you are going to be recruited because the kingdom is going to take over another kingdom. And this is why Jesus was tempted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Because when he came out of that wilderness, he took some prisoners of war. See, whenever there's a king and a king goes into a country to conquer, a king always brings back prisoners of war. You read about even in the times of Israel. There was a very grievous time in Israel's history when, when Israel came against Judah and there was a civil war. And they took their brethren captive. And the prophet Oded gave them, the king of Israel, a word to, to not do this to their own brethren. Every king, when he goes to war in biblical times, brings back prisoners of war. That's why Saul brought back Agag. Instead of doing what God told him to do, he made him a prisoner of war. Jesus took some prisoners of war, but they're not human beings. He took demonic spirits as prisoners of war. Hello, somebody. I said he took demonic spirits as prisoners of war. He locked them up. He bound them. And he conquered their king. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. And he has anointed you to establish the kingdom. He said in Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Today, there's some prisoners of war that are going to be taken in this place today. You can't see them with your natural eye, but there's some illegal prisoners, those that have been trespassing and oppressing God's people illegally. 
been trespassing. They've been taking your property. They've been oppressing you. They've been harassing you. They've been tormenting you. And they've been trying to take your health, trying to take your mind, trying to take your sanity, trying to take your children, trying to take what God has promised you. But they will be prisoners of war today. Say this with me, Malkut Shemayim. Stand to your feet. Raise up those hands toward heaven. Hallelujah. I want us to say the prayer. We have a special prayer today to ask the Lord that Malkut Shemayim would come. Everybody got one in your hand. But we're going to put it on the screen for those who didn't. And if we can't put it on the screen, I'll borrow somebody's. Thank you. Look on with your neighbor. Hallelujah. I want you to know the very first commandment in the Bible sounds like a declaration. It doesn't sound like a commandment. It says, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. You shall not have strange gods before me definitely is a commandment, but there's another commandment before it. How can a statement, I am the Lord your God, be a commandment? It's a statement. It's a declaration. Can I share with you a secret? How can I am the Lord your God be a commandment? It's a declaration. It's a statement. It's a proclamation. It's not a commandment, but yet it is. Because if it was in Hebrew, ani, I am the Lord your God, using the, the word ani, it would mean, I am the Lord your God, just by stating who he is. But he did not, it's not written that way. It's written anoki. Anoki is a word that means personal. I am your personal God. I'm your personal God. So I am the Lord your God invites the individual to have personal, a personal, loving relationship with God. That's how he invited Israel. Anoki, I am the Lord your God. Not Ani, Anoki. The first commandment is the commandment he is commanding every person to have a relationship with him. No person to just look at God as a thing. But every person is commanded to have a relationship with him. And if you have never done that, and you want to today, you can enter the kingdom of heaven today. Kingdom of heaven is not about heaven, going to heaven. Kingdom of heaven is here. 
then you'll go to heaven. Kingdom of heaven is among you. It's here. Just say it's over there, it's over off yonder. It's here. Right here. Somebody in this room with every head bowed and every eye closed before we say this prayer. Someone in their seat just wants to raise their hand. If you want to today for the first time, make the Almighty Anoki. And the one is Jesus Christ. She would say, I want you to be my personal God, my personal Savior. I want to enter the kingdom of God. I want it to be so simple. For me to be able to enter, I want a shoe. I want to go back. I want everything God's got for me. If there's anyone in this room and you've never done that before and you want to shove today, you want to repent, would you raise your hand toward heaven? I want to pray that prayer with you. If you've never gone through a repentance and you want to now, would you just raise your hand? Hallelujah. We give God glory. We give God praise. Okay, let us all say the prayer together. Baruch atah Hashem Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach Melach HaHulam. I choose to enter this year with my entire being to love, continue, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I desire to pay any price for the greatest of all treasures to enter Malkut Shemayim. Let's just stop here. Jesus said, if we're going to enter Malkuchimayim, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to enter Malkuchimayim. Are you ready to put your hand to the plow and not look back? Never say, I wish it was like it was before. Everyone that is going to say that, that means... If you're going to enter Malkut Shemayim, would you be willing to sell all you have for the treasure hidden in the field? If you would, say amen. amen. Everything I have belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not easy to enter Malkut Shemayim. Are you with me? Do you hear it? Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.